0: Good afternoon, Celtics fans, and welcome to another episode of CLNS Radio's Celtics Speed. I'm your host, Rich Conti, and in a moment, we'll be joined by my co-host today, Dr. Andre Snellings of Rotowire. Before we bring in Andre, I want to let listeners know that in addition to our weekly offerings on Sunday afternoon, Celtics Speed on CLNS Radio will be featuring special bonus episodes on select Wednesdays going forward. This coming Wednesday, Adam Lowenstein and I will welcome Celtics Radio play-by-play announcer Sean Grandy to the show, so don't miss it. Well, Andre, as always, I'm excited to be working with you again. The uh, Celtics had a busy and interesting week. They kicked off the week with a home-and-home back-to-back with the Washington Wizards and old friend Paul Pierce, then traveled to Charlotte to face Michael Jordan's Bobcats, and then closed out the week Friday night against the Knicks in the Garden. What were your biggest takeaways from the week?
1: Yeah, you know, I really enjoyed that um, home-and-home to start the week just because, you know, it was... the, The Wizards are thought of as this, you know up and coming supposed to be strong team. So it was nice to see the the Celtics just going back and forth with them blow for blow. And, um, you know, you mentioned old friend Paul Pierce, uh, you know, I think, um, uh, the response after that overtime game was, yeah, it's a good thing we got rid of that Paul Pierce guy. Cause he has nothing <laughs> left in the tank. <laughs> but, um, but no, I mean, I just, with, with this team, I mean, we talked about this before with where they are now in the process, I just love to see them play hard and, compete. You know, I, I like to see them out there. Like, you know what? Maybe we're not as talented as, as the biggest dogs out there, but you're going to have to be the big dog to beat us. And, and 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 that's what I like to see. And I feel like that's what I saw this week.
0: Yeah, definitely. I mean, those back-to-back home and homes are always a lot of fun. But it was really interesting, and I was really looking forward to seeing it. Like you said, against the Wizards because they are such a good benchmark. And in many ways, you know, they're a team that's maybe just you know a year or two ahead of the Celtics on the on the schedule in terms of you know kind of building toward contention. So that made them kind of an interesting uh, benchmark. And you know, the first game, you know, it was an early game on a Sunday, and I think maybe they uh, you know, on the road for the Wizards. And I think maybe they caught the Wizards, maybe. a a little groggy and and still waking up and and kind of jumped on them early in that game. Uh, But I thought that was a good game all around. I I, I was actually really pleased at the way they played defensively in that game, uh, particularly early. And of course, you know, they were able to in that game hold off a a little Washington rally uh, in the third and fourth quarters, which is something they've struggled with this year. And we'll, we'll come back to that in a bit um, but then, of course, the uh, Monday night game in Washington. Uh, you know, the Celtics were kind of trading blows with them in the the first half. They held off a little run uh, in the beginning of the second quarter by Washington, and then Washington started to create a little bit of separation with them going into the half and then, of course, the third quarter. And at that point, I think a lot of fans were kind of thinking, okay, second night, a back-to-back. They they fought them tough at home and came out with a win, and, and now they're going to get blown out. I don't think anyone saw that that comeback coming. Uh, well, what did you think about that?
1: The the comeback was just, to me, that was the highlight of the whole week because when it got to the fourth quarter and the Wizards are up, what, 16, 18 points, and, you know, that that's right around the time. When I really would, I, I wouldn't even have been angry, I guess, to have seen the Celtics go away because it, you know, the, the better teams up, you know, they, they're, they're supposed to win now. So to see them come storming all the way back and just push that game, not even into overtime, the double overtime, you know, I, we're, we're not supposed to be about moral victories and everything. But um, for, for me, that game felt like a win.
0: Yeah, that's what's been interesting to me, the reaction to that game, and a reaction to a lot of the close losses this season. It's, you know, the the team's been right there on the doorstep, has become more of a negative than a positive with a lot of fans, and that's kind of challenging for me to understand in the sense that, you know, I don't think going into the season, folks had really high expectations, and in some ways, the team has been exceeding them, but kind of this uh, consistent inconsistency, the ability to kind of get up big in a game and then, you know, blow the lead, uh, the challenge Challenges with with closing out games, I think, have really overshadowed everything else. And I thought that Washington team was a great example where, hey, you know, even though they lost, um, the fact that they made this big comeback and the the, the bench kind of showed that energy and that fight, and you know, they they they. Took the Wizards down to, to double overtime, um, but yet the, the the biggest focus in after that game seemed to be on the fact that um, the starters were kind of benched there for from you know, Coach ba- Brad Stevens uh, through the fourth quarter and and through the overtimes and and particularly a lot of focus on Rondo sitting on the bench and it's you know it's kind of funny thinking well okay uh, you know here we just got treated to this really exciting game although albeit disappointing finish and everybody is trying to you know create a negative out of what should be a positive. What did you make out of the fact that Stevens left those guys on the bench, uh, you know, as the the, um, the, the lead kind of dwindled down and, and it became a, a winnable game at the end of the fourth and then into overtime?
1: Yeah, to me, I think that was good coaching. I mean, because it's a situation where, for whatever reason, the starters were not effective. The, the, the starters helped dig this big hole, and then you, you bring in players off the bench that are hustling and playing hard and not giving up when maybe that's the expectation. And then they bring you all the way back into the game, not even just back into the game, but into a tie game type situation, pushing the game into overtime. To me, you reward them for that. I mean, it's one thing if they're just gassed and it's like, okay, you know what? They've given all they can give now, you know, we've got some other players on the bench, but you know, if, if, if they're still playing well and, you know that i think they've earned that one and and i think more so than wins and losses for me with this celtic team like you were just talking about like people being disappointed for me this team is all about kind of establishing a culture and trying to prove or, or trying to 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 show that this is how the team is going to fight moving forward and and that those backups you know the the bench unit was showing that fight, you know, they, they were bringing that fight to Washington. And so, to me, you, you let them play it out. I had no problem with that at all.
0: Yeah, I completely agree. And it was funny. I was looking uh, toward the tail end of the fourth quarter for signs of you know the, the the legs starting to tire a bit. And you know if you notice, kind of in the last minute or two of regulation, they really started to struggle offensively. And I started thinking, oh, you know, he's he maybe went with this unit a little too long. They're dead. Uh, but I think sticking with them and then actually coming out with them at the beginning of the first overtime had kind of a re-energizing effect for those guys. I think that was really a, a shot of confidence for them and I think that goes directly to what you talk about there in terms of establishing that culture and to me it's establishing culture and developing your your your, your talent um, you know one thing I, I know kind of came up a little bit uh, on, on a positive note after that situation was how uh, that's something that uh, Greg Popovich of the Spurs regularly does right you know he he runs sure. with the unit that gets that team back in the game and when, when they happen to be down and is completely comfortable leaving some or all of his starters on the bench as a reward and, and actually as a, as a development opportunity for some of these guys to to maybe get into a situation where you know they, they otherwise wouldn't wouldn't get a chance to experience and I think you know if you look at where this team is right at, is right now it is more about developing that culture developing you know the experience that they need to be you know a, you know competitive NBA players and whether that's with Boston or, uh, you know, in a trade. And I think that really is, is the focus right now. So I, you know, I was all for it and it's, it's funny, you know, the focus is on the fact that Rondo's on the bench and, and folks, you know, uh, kind of either uh, uh, unintentionally or intentionally chose to ignore Well, sitting right next to him was for most of that time was Jeff Green and Jared Solinger hmm. and Avery Bradley as well and uh, so you know I, I didn't look at it as you know Stevens you know benching any of those guys in terms of you know hey you guys aren't playing hard so I'm going to sit you over here next to me it was kind of like hey let's see what these guys can do out there they they earned it they brought us back into the game and it was largely Evan Turner Marcus Smart and Kelly O'Linnick that really led that charge
1: exactly and 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 that last thing you said is is right where I was about to go next it's you know I wasn't even thinking so much about Rondo's on the bench I was thinking about this is Marcus Smart you know this is what we've been wanting to see for for all of this time and you know through injuries and inconsistent minutes we haven't seen it and it's like for me it was almost like this is a flash forward to what he could be and I was all about enjoying that (laughs) and watching as much as we could Um, because, you know, in the season, there aren't going to always be opportunities to do that. There aren't going to be opportunities to just let the young guys go because sometimes they have it. Sometimes they don't. You don't want to crush their confidence. You want every you know, you want the veterans to still be able to play and show that they can still do their thing. And so to me, that was almost like a perfect storm. It was like great competition. The young guys are stepping up. Let, Let them go for it.
0: Yeah, and it's funny, you know, an example of people seeing what they want to see is, you know, I saw a lot of comments after the game that, you know, Rondo is benched for Marcus Smart. And it's like, well, well hold on. Marcus Smart wasn't even playing point guard <laughs> during, during those exactly. minutes. He was playing off the ball and he did a great job of it. I, I, you know, I think one of the biggest surprises for me about him so far this season and the brief look we've had at him is his outside shooting. I think he's a lot better outside shot than, than folks have, you know, that, that was advertised coming in. And it was really Turner who was running the point, And I thought, that was his best game as a Celtic by far so far this season. I've been fairly critical of him, and you know mainly because you know the ball tends to to, to stick with him uh, more so than some of the other guys that that handle the ball. But I thought he played phenomenally that night.
1: Yeah, I mean Turner, he's an interesting case because you know he was the number two pick, so people wanted to have high expectations, but then he hasn't lived up to it. So then you go the other way: oh, he's just a bust. Watching Evan Turner, he He's good at what he's good at, and he's not good at what he's not good at. And so in Philadelphia last year, they kind of let him run that point forward a lot of the time, you know, especially when, when Carter Williams was out. They would just kind of run the offense through Turner. And he can do that. That That's that's his skill set. He did that in college. Well, with the Celtics, if he's out there with Rondo, he's never going to do that, you know. So, consequently you're not going to get the best evan turner you're going to get now it might not be best for the team to let him do that all the time but that's what he can do so you know again it was a situation where rondo was on the bench and you've know, you got turner and and, and smart and, and others out there kind of able to do things that they can't do when they're trying to fit into the the bigger whole of the team
0: and one last thing about that game. Uh, what was it like for you to see Paul Pierce making big plays down the stretch? <laughs> I know that was a little, a little bittersweet for Celtics fans. I caught myself exactly. you know, cheering for him at a couple of points and then kind of thinking, hey, wait a minute. He's wearing the wrong jersey this time.
1: Yeah, I, I don't think you can help that. And I think, again, for this is just for me, like, the way the, where the team is right now, wins and losses aren't my priority. So when you've got somebody who is just, you know synonymous with the Celtics for the whole of my adult life you know and and just the the person that's been you know conditioned to pull for him you know so like and, and I don't feel bad about it now you know it'd be one thing if the Celtics were trying to to push into that upper echelon then I'm going to want them to win all game every game but um when one of my um you know colleagues uh at Rotowire, uh, Chris Liss, he's always beating the drum. It's like a team should either be really good or really bad. And, you know, because in the NBA, it just doesn't pay to be right in the middle. And I know the Celtics are, what, a game out of the eighth spot in the East, but the East stinks, you know? So <laughs> it's fool's gold to be like, oh, well, this is a playoff team. This this isn't a playoff team. And I'm not even especially concerned with them trying to force themselves to be one I mean if they make the playoffs you know that's wonderful but you know on a game-to-game basis that there are other priorities that I think will get the team further along than just looking at, at the bottom line. Do they win or lose?
0: Yeah. It's really about the process at this point. And if they win, that's great. And, and that doesn't mean you just kind of write off the season. The process exactly. is important. You have to respect the process and you have to go through it. And, and part of going through it is, you know, being out there and competing. And so, you know, the idea that you either need to be really good or really bad, I think in a way kind of disrespects the process, right? Um, you know, it, it kind of sets up this, uh, kind of binary you're either good or you're really bad and and the transformation is something that kind of just solely happens in the off season. and I think that's really uh, not reflective of how teams really can grow and build for the most part and and kind of speaking of the process you know turning attention to the the close of the week and the disappointing losses to Charlotte yeah. and to the Knicks the offense seemed to struggle a lot whereas that seems to be you know in most of the games this season the thing that's coming easy for them yet in both of those games I think they struggled a offensively and Rondo in particular after a couple of games where he was being a lot more aggressive offensively looking for his shot kind of reverted back to uh, you know not really looking for his offense at all what do you make of that is that uh, something that you think is is intentional do you think it has something to do still with the the recovery of the injury from the injury is his confidence shaken? I've heard some people really float that as a theory
1: you know Rondo is always he's just an enigma he doesn't express himself and it's very hard to tell what's going on inside that head of his. I mean, the, the Celtics' offense runs through him. So, you know, we've talked in the past about how we almost thought he would go the other way and and try to over, you know, like I'm, I'm going to either take the shot or make the pass on every play. Mm-hmm. Whereas, it, it, you know, it, it seems like sometimes he still wants to play the way he played when he had, we were talking about Pierce and, and Garnett and Allen there to, to make the shots. And, and like he's only going to facilitate Whereas this team doesn't have that level of talent, you know, to to allow that. So I think it's got to be hard, put my psychoanalyst hat on, I think it's got to be hard, no matter what Rondo says, to be constantly on the block and constantly dissected all of the time. So, you know, we we just talked about, for me, how enjoyable it was to see Marcus Smart out there and and, then doing his thing. But, I mean, if you're Rondo, maybe you note that hey i was on the bench you know so maybe maybe that was a signal that the team wants me to to stop being so aggressive and to try to do some other things um or, or maybe that's too rose color maybe it, maybe it's the opposite maybe it's kind of a petulant like you know what well if, if they if they don't want me to, to do my thing then then i won't and they'll see what happens you know i mean i just i don't have any way to gauge what's behind his poker face but to say that the team needs him to be more than he's been these last couple games
0: Yeah, of course, we can't get inside his head, but it's funny, that kind of makes him the Rorschach test of NBA players when it comes to fans. And I think different people see different things, and and a lot of that is framed by their kind of opinions going into what they're seeing. And, you know, a couple of things that, that I'm noticing is he was the first guy up off the bench cheering uh, when Marcus Smart and others were making plays uh, in that comeback, he was out there battling with the referee, uh, actually in a, in a very respectful way, uh, which is a, a positive change, I think, from, from some of his past experiences. And, you know, I almost wonder sometimes, you know, the, the because he's such a competitive guy and you know, the tendency is there, like we thought of it, is, is he going to kind of, you know, maybe go overboard and 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 look for his offense too much, feeling as he has to? And I, I almost wonder if he ran rest- Recognizes and he's been, you know, the guidance he's getting from the coaching staff is, no, we're trying to build a program here, right? There's a mm-hmm. process, and and we need you to help these guys through this process, and we want you to stay within the structure of the offense. And, you know, if, if you kind of frame it that way and look at what he's actually doing on the court, yeah, I mean, he's still, you know, trying to get on the same page with people. That leads to some ugly turnovers at a time. There's times where, as he has been his whole career, he's prone to going for the home run pass, as Doc Rivers used to put it, instead of the single and, and that rears its ugly head, particularly the guys you're not on the same page with all the time. Right. Uh, but I do, I do see him giving up the ball, you know, crossing half court and letting somebody else initiate the offense. I do see him, you know, really making a concerted effort to run the sets and to, to facilitate and get the ball to guys in the right spot. And, and it's almost like those things have become, become a negative because fans are kind of thirsty for a player to go out there and kind of take over games. Games and, and Rondo's our, you know, uh, potential max player and, and we should be seeing that out of him. And, it, you know, if, if wins and losses are the thing that, you know, you're really looking for right now then i would agree they do need more out of him but if development is is the goal then then i wonder sometimes if he's not actually taking one for the team and giving them what they need right now by uh, you know downplaying his own offense and you know some of that is it's uh, too there's no magic formula for what the right balance is particularly for a point guard between aggressiveness and and facilitating and i think that changes depending on the personnel around you and i think he he had clearly gotten into a comfort Zone back in the big three days with where that balance point is. And I think he's he's trying to find it again.
1: Yeah, that, that was that's actually a really interesting take on it because so much of the questions about Rondo swirl around: is he going to be a Celtic? You know, is he here for the long term? Is he the next one out the door? And what I was hearing while you were talking is perhaps he's like, you know, I'm here to stay. And if I am here to stay, then I'm, you know, I'm going to respect the process and I'm going to do the things that'll make us better long-term, which means not A, you know, trying to force my own um, self forward into a role that I won't be playing when the team actually gets better. And B, you know, not worrying so much about what the perception or even the, the wins or losses are and, and and more so trying to to focus on the team. So, You can make the argument based on that, that that that's an excellent sign that Rondo is bought completely in and and it's about we and not me.
0: Yeah, and you know, for all the focus on Rondo, the, the biggest problem with the team still remains the interior defense. I uh, uh, published a uh, blog post on clnsradio.com earlier in the week or toward the tail end of last week, really kind of looking at the offensive and defensive points per possession with the different five man units. And it's really striking uh, when a is on the court uh the offense is much more efficient uh than it is when he when he's off the court uh but the defense uh, leaves a lot to be desired and the opposite is a tr- is true when he's off the court right the the offense grinds to a halt but the defense improves and and kind of my diagnosis in the piece was you know that's what's happening here with this inconsistency right they're building big leads on offense not on defense Right, they're building big leads when the other team is settling for jump shots and and missing them. They're able to get out and run, and the the, the spacing that you get with a on the floor, the the you know the, his vision as a passer, everything of the the offense flows, and and they're being rewarded for that, and the other team isn't necessarily punishing them for the lack of interior defense. Then when they lose the lead, it's because the opponent is, is taking advantage of that lack of interior <laughs> defense you have when a Linux on the court. And, and if Stevens tries to respond by putting a more defensive unit out there, well, then the opposite's happening. All of a sudden the offense is getting worse. It's grinding to a halt. And, you know, the the defense is improving, but now the offense, you know, starts to look ugly. And I think that in large part is what's happening here is, you know, it's really difficult for them to play with Olenek at the five and, you know, uh, you know, basically two bigs who were neither of them are are a rim protector. And that that really kind of challenges them. And I think ultimately is going to mean a decision down the road between Sullinger and Olenek at some point.
1: Yeah, you know, and, and we talked actually, I remember um, a lot about that kind of coming into the season because it, it was excellent research to be able to to put the numbers that you did to it to, to demonstrate exactly what you're talking about. But coming into the season, we were like, okay, if Sully and Olenek is your starting big man, you're not going to have the traditional defense that you normally need to have from, from your interior. And, you know, we talked about, well, the Celtics taking advantage of, their strengths and weaknesses, and and the fact that, okay, well, if you got these two bigs that are offensive-minded, can both stretch the floor, get out to the three-point line, maybe they could have kind of on offense a spacing effect that'll allow the rondos and smarts and turners to be able to go inside to the rim where more into their uh, comfort zone as far as shooting. And then on defense, we were like, well, maybe we've got all of these excellent perimeter defenders. Is it possible to, to kind of pull out that 40 minutes of hell style and have Rondo and and Avery and, and and Smart making life so difficult on the opposing perimeter players that that you could get away with kind of having the donut defense and um I mean I think what we're seeing is that those are cool concepts and and they're things that the team can get away for short spurts but over the course of a year as your numbers showed eventually uh you, the, you're going to revert to the mean. And so um, the, 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 the tricks and now, the gadgets are, are a things bit. that Monday, are, are good for the Celtics to try the with, with the team that they traded. have. It's but ultimately, traded. yeah, it's going to come down to season. one of the offensive-minded bigs and then you're going to need uh, another kind of traditional big man traded, they, they can changed, help lock down that defense.
0: Uh, based on what hopefully yeah, they can find that rim protector. Well, I guess what I would say
1: is I don't know that I expect a lot of trade action from the Celtics anymore. I think always... The the first domino, if it was going to be a big trade season, was kind of Rondo. And I don't really believe, me personally, that, that he's going anywhere. So because of that, I think that kind of changes the tenor of what we could expect from this team. Um, you know, we were just talking about Sully and Olenek and you know whether they could be the answer long term and how probably the answer is no. But I don't think necessarily the timeline is now to try to solve that issue. And so based on that, I mean, I guess Turner seems like he would be, for me, the first person I would think might be on the way out the door. But I don't know that his trade value is especially high. And and so being what it is, maybe he ends up sticking around a little while longer than than maybe I would have expected before. You know, I, I think of that kind of go down the list. uh The other person that to me makes the most sense to be traded is Brandon Bass, just because he's a vet. I don't see him as being part of the long term future. But again, I don't know that anyone's really necessarily beating down the door to come get him. So um, I guess those are the names that I kind of think of first when it comes to trades. Um, uh, What are your thoughts on it?
0: Yeah, I think the thing that's working in favor of the Celtics being active at the trade deadline or leading up to it is just kind of the the closeness of teams in in both Eastern and Western Conference. Obviously, the Western Conference uh, is significantly better than the Eastern Conference, but there's a bunch of teams all bunched up, and what that means is somebody's looking for separation. And in the East, uh, basically nobody's really out of playoff contention except maybe Philadelphia and Detroit at this point. And so, you know, that I think increases <laughs> the demand, and and there's always and at the same time, it reduces the supply of players, right? You know, the the more buyers you have and the fewer sellers you have, uh, that puts the sellers in a little bit better of a position, and. You know, whereas we said, the Celtics um have a shot at making the playoffs. I don't think it's the priority. And I, I think, you know, they're potentially a seller and thus guys like Bass and Turner and and maybe even somebody like Gerald Wallace actually, you know, might you know, there might be a bit of a demand for that we've heard a little bit of rumbling that Charlotte might be looking to kind of shore up their roster with a couple of veterans, I personally think Bass uh, would be a great fit there, we know Gerald Wallace has the the history with Charlotte Wallace's name has come up in connection with Portland as well and I think, you know, it it, it would be interesting to see because I think you know, if, if they did deal Bass They're really going to just continue to struggle defensively. He's, you know, on the front line, one of the few guys in there that really has a positive uh, impact on the defensive side of the 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 ball. And I think at that point, you know, you're really uh, kind of writing off the season at least defensively uh, if you deal him. But I think it's likely uh, Turner all along. I've looked at as kind of a Jordan Crawford type reclamation project where Ainge kind of looked at a guy that he could buy low on and and you know maybe with. Stevens coaching him up a little bit can can show some value as as he did with Jordan Crawford, and then be able to cash in on uh, on him for something. So I could see him being moved. Really, I don't think there's anybody that we maybe started the season thinking you know. Um, would or wouldn't be traded. That that significantly changes. I guess the one one guy I'd say maybe is Wallace. I think we all kind of said as nice it w- mm. as it would be to move that contract, uh, it's going to be difficult to do. And I think maybe it's it's become easier um, because of the reasons I mentioned with the supply and demand. But also, I think you know teams are looking at that salary cap down the road and and the likelihood it's going to increase significantly. And, you know, maybe not thinking so, um, you know, so much about that contract that he's got. And the reality is it's got a season and a half left to run. So it's not, uh, you know, it was an albatross at one point. I think it's each day that passes, it becomes less and less of an albatross. So I think the guy who's maybe the, the likelihood of his being traded has changed significantly is is, is maybe Wallace. But... You know, the, on the flip side, it would be nice if the team could go out and get a rim protector. But, you know, at this point, the, the, the paucity of those guys across the league uh, and the number of teams in playoff contention, I, you know, I have a, a hard time seeing uh, Danny Ainge being able to shake one of those guys loose from another team.
1: Yeah. And, you know, like, I mean, we're talking about trades now, but, you know, it's kind of following up with your article and keep talking about this rim protector. What do you th- What do you think of the possibility that maybe he's already on the roster? You know, what What are your feelings on Tyler Zeller? as, as, as being at least for this team the, the guy that can you know get a few block shots and, and, and try to man the middle?
0: Yeah, you know, Zeller's interesting. I've actually he's been a really positive surprise for me this year. I didn't know he was that skilled offensively. He's got a tremendous pair of hands and just a really fantastic ability to to finish around the hoop and really even against good defenses and and good interior defense. We you know, we haven't seen him go up against an Anthony Davis or a or a um, you know, other top-level uh, defensive big. Although I guess you know, he, he did okay against Chicago and and Noah, but um you know I haven't really seen that out of him defensively and you know he is a seven footer I don't think he's particularly long for a seven footer I don't think his wingspan is that great so I think there might be some natural physical limitations but you know if they can get him used to the defensive rotations and get him to move his feet which you know we know on offense he's got good footwork and he can you know certainly uh, get up and down the floor so maybe the physical capacity to 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 move his feet along the baseline might be there he might become serviceable in that role but uh, you know I think right now, I think you know he projects as a you know really good big off the bench, you know for for you know eight or ten or twelve minutes a game. Particularly when you're looking for offense, seems to have gotten into a nice groove with uh, Rajon Rondo. I think Rondo appreciates a guy with good soft hands like that. So you know I'm I'm hopeful about his future with the Celtics, but I don't think he's necessarily the answer. Though I hope you know he can get to the point where in those eight or ten or twelve or fifteen minutes a game where he can get on the the court, he is enough of a deterrent in there that the offense or sorry the defense doesn't fall completely apart.
1: Yeah I would agree with that I mean he's got the traditional size of a center you know, as opposed to the Olympics and, and the, the the Sully's one's too short one's too you know one's too <laughs> light whereas you know Zeller's actually a good what seven foot I think he's listed at like 250 260 so he's, yep. he, he's got the size um, but I would agree he's, he's, he's never I don't believe going to be a dominant defender but maybe as you alluded to he could kind of fit the bill and and, and kind of do enough to be serviceable and as opposed to kind of being uh, a hemorrhaging of <laughs> defense when when we have the other unit in there.
0: Yeah, I think we're going to have to wait till the off season to see them really solve that problem. You know, obviously Marcus All is out there. Question being, you know, can you uh, lure him away from Memphis? And then, of course, old friend Omer Sheik is down there in New Orleans, and his contract is up at the end of the year. So, you know, I, I think that's going to be kind of t- at the top of Ainge's shopping list. Now's a good time to bring in today's guest, noted NBA insider Jared Swirling of Bleacher Report. Our interview with Jared is brought to you by BeatsNeats.net. food, comedy, pop culture and more. That's BeatsNeats.net. Well, welcome to the show, Jared.
2: No, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it.
0: Now, your focus spans the entire NBA, but I'd love to get your perspective on the Celtics so far this season and where they might be at with their rebuilding efforts so far.
2: Well, you know, uh, Rajon Rondo is, is back healthy playing, and you know he's already had t- three triple doubles this season, so he even, even had two in one week recently, which is uh, amazing. He's averaging even two more rebounds per game, and I, I saw him a couple of days ago. He talked about, you know, he credited the, the bigs on the team for boxing out really well and giving him opportunities to creep into the paint and get boards. You know, he's very quick. He has big hands. Uh, he's, he's, he's wiry strong, and he likes to grab boards to facilitate fast breaks uh you know which he's very good at so he's doing a great job jeff Green is now averaging you know a career high 20 points per game kelly olenic uh, has showed some flashes of brilliance as a stretch forward now off the bench uh, as they're starting tyler zeller so they made some adjustments uh, but they're hanging in you know they don't have a lot of star talent you know rajon rondo is to me he's a, a top five point guard no question about it but uh, you know they don't have that star talent uh you know, big time scores, but, uh, you know, they're getting by. Look, they're going to not be a playoff team likely. They're going to have a high draft pick next year, some cap space. So they're going to be able to, to find some more key guys. The big question is Rajon Rondo. You know, what's his future in Boston? So they're going to have to figure that out. I know he wants to stay in Boston. He likes the city a lot. But looking ahead, they're going to have to figure out him as a cornerstone point guard and how to build around him.
0: Yeah, you mentioned the uh, triple-doubles and, of course, the rebounding numbers are up. One of the things, kind of the last few games, it seems to be he's really shying away from looking for his own offense. Do you think that's by design? Do you think it's gonna kind of residue of the, uh, the the injury maybe still linging, lingering a bit around a bit?
2: No, that's a good question. You know, I, I, I talked to his brother, uh, William Rondo, a couple days ago, and, and, you know, Rajon works on his offense a lot, you know. Um, He's not really working on his passes behind the scenes. He's working on his uh, different uh, flip shots and uh, you know corner corner elbow shots and off screens. You know he he works on his game. You know but but you know Rajon and he admits to this. You know he he has the mind of a passer. So and he's always been like that. So he's always looking to facilitate. I think I think you know his jump shot has improved when he takes it. Um I think that the, the key for him is uh, right now is they have so not really a brand new team but. You know, clearly he's trying to adjust to a lot of new guys, a lot of newer players. So I think with that adjustment comes the, the, the attention to passing, to try to get guys in the right spots, to facilitate the offense. So, you know, I, I think you saw more scoring out of Rajon maybe in his third or fourth year in the previous term with uh, Ray Allen and Kevin Gardner and Paul Pierce because he got adjusted to playing with those guys. It's our looking for a shot, but I think with this newer group, I think he's looking to pass and kind of facilitate the offense, so maybe as he gets more comfortable with things, maybe we'll see him take more shots, but right now, I think it's just really trying to get the guys together on the same page.
0: Yeah, Gary Payton recently had some very complimentary words from calling him one of only uh, five true point guards in the league, and... One of the major struggles the Celtics have had on defense this season has been defending the pick and roll. And you recently wrote a piece dissecting one of the best pick and rolls in the league, uh, the Los Angeles Clippers. What makes the Clippers pick and roll so good and why is defending the pick and roll so critical in today's NBA?
2: Well, every team runs it and, and also they have multiple variations. You know, years ago when John Stotts and Carl Malone ran it, it was mostly a side pick and roll an elbow pick-and-roll. Now it's high pick-and-roll, side pick-and-rolls, uh, transition, secondary break, uh, you know, trailing pick-and-rolls. You know, you see that a lot with like Dirk Nowitzki or Kevin Love in Cleveland, you know, with the key stretch four shooters. So pick-and-rolls happen all over the court now, and, and teams run spread out offenses, so they really look to utilize a pick-and-roll to get uh, these really speedy point guards in the game all uh, turn the corner, attack the basket, and then you know uh, kick it out to the baseline corner three, which is the most popular outside shot in basketball. So it's uh, it's very hard to defend. And the, the best teams like the Bulls and the Spurs look to push it to the side and, and force a strong side action to limit swing passes and things like that. Why the Clippers are so good? I mean, it's pretty simple when you look at it from <laughs> the official side of it. Uh, Chris Paul is a brilliant point guard. He might be one of the best ball handlers in the game. He, I, in my story I wrote about he's popular as a move called, called the cross screen, where basically instead of attacking the basket, he'll basically using his uh, strength at you know 185 pounds to kind of box out uh, his point guard defender and kind of turn like an L-shaped move. And so now what you're doing is you're, you're, you're taking the not only the point guard defender with you, but you're also taking the big man defender. So it creates a, a pocket pass to Blake Griffin. So Chris Paul is very creative, keeps his dribble alive in traffic. He's got like a – I think he has the best assist-to-turnover ratio in the game. Then when you couple that with Blake Griffin, who is a very underrated passer, he's improved his mid-range jump shooting. Then he's very aggressive and athletic to the basket. It's very, very difficult. Then you have DeAndre Jordan on the weak side to be able to flush down a lob pass from Blake. So they really run a lot of tricky stuff. And credit Doc Rivers. He's really instituted a lot of creativity in that offense as well.
0: And we're about a quarter of the way through the season. What have been some of the bigger surprises for you so far?
2: Well, I think, uh, you know, maybe how the Cavaliers struggled initially, um, you know, having all that star talent. But I think they're kind of finding their own right now. And I think they're going to be very explosive. Defensively, though, it's still somewhat of a problematic. You know, they're getting beat in the paint. They're still giving up around 44 points in the paint. I'm hearing Deion Waiters um, is, is a potential trade guy. Uh, look for maybe him to be moved for... Maybe another big man, you know, a guy that I love, and I think some, some guys around the league love, love him too, is Reggie Evans out in Sacramento, although the Kings might want to keep him, but, uh, you know, he's a guy who's on an expiring contract, great defender, energy guy, gets rebounds, he would, be really, he would work, work very well in Cleveland, so I would say um, watch out for the Cavs with their defense, but uh, other surprises... You know, I, I think maybe out west, you can say that the the, the, uh, the Warriors, for example, was one. I didn't expect them to only only lose two games so far, but uh, clearly the evolution of of Clay Thompson, Stephen Curry, and then Draymond Green, Harrison Barnes. Um, I think I think re uh, reorganizing that lineup to have Andre Iguodala off the bench with Sean Livingston. They have so much experience to, uh, off the bench. So, yeah, and then they have David Lee coming back next week too from from injury. So I would say maybe those are a couple things. I mean, I think. Anthony Davis's rise, to I didn't expect him to be a 25-points-a-game scorer, so maybe individually you can say him, but it's really remarkable to see his evolution so far.
0: Yeah, you mentioned Davis and the Pelicans, and out west, the southwest division has become an absolute killer. You've got four teams, Memphis, San Antonio, Houston, and Dallas, all among the best records in the league, and the Pelicans can't catch a break. They're hovering around 500, but sitting there in last place in that division. Mm-hmm. Is this going to continue all season, or do you expect a couple of those teams to maybe drop off and come back to the pack a little bit?
2: No, it's crazy because, you know, without Dwight Howard, I thought the Rockets would drop. But credit to James Harden, Not only is he scoring, but he's defending. You know, there's always a lot of clips on YouTube. I'm not sure if you see them, but there's always these <laughs> you know, no defense hardened clips that go around and circulate. Uh, and But, yeah, he, he's stepping up, and, uh, you know, they have they have a good supporting cast. I think uh, Trevor Reese has been fantastic. So, But they're still playing well, so I, I don't see any of these teams dropping off. I mean, the Grizzlies are healthy last year. Marcus Saul And Tony Allen missed a lot of games. Uh, Marcus Allen is trimmed down. He's looking great. Uh, Mike Conley, one of the best uh, point guards in the game, still underrated, in my opinion, but he's definitely deserving. Um, You know, they're scoring more points, about six more per game, and they're closing games very well. The Rockets, like I just mentioned, Dallas Mavericks are deeper, you know, Chandler Parsons and Tyson Chandler now, and a lot of experience. And the Spurs are the Spurs. And the Pelicans, clearly, they have a lot of talent. Anthony Davis and Tyreek Evans has been playing very well, Uh, you know, he played well yesterday when they beat the Cavs uh, when when Anthony Davis went down with that chest contusion, but Ty- Tyreek, Eric Gordon, you know, once he's back, they're going to have a lot of talent. So I don't expect this division, I think this is def- definitely the best division in basketball. I expect it to continue. You mentioned
0: James Harden. Of course, his name's been thrown into the MVP mix. still early, but uh, it's kind of a new name added to that mix. Is that a realistic possibility at all? Or are people just kind of looking for a different name to kind of discuss in, in what's kind of become a stale MVP discussion the past couple yeah. of seasons?
2: No, I think it's a good question. I, I think he's definitely in the mix. Like, like I said, I, I you know scoring, he had a forty a point game recently. I mean, he's he's the lethal scorer. We all know that. But I think defensively, he's picking it up. And you know, I think with Harden, you know, I think one thing that we kind of forget about him is that he's not just scoring, but he's really facilitating the offense. A lot of times, he's the guy dribbling the ball off the court and and running pick and rolls. I mean, he's he, he does it all. Uh, I, I think we just look at maybe him off the dribble and you know attacking the paint and stuff but he's he's also a great facilitator he's a pretty good passer I like to see him improve his three-point shooting though he tends to take these very deep ill-advised three-point shots a lot of them hit the front of the rim his percentages have never been above 40 percent you know he's always around 35 that's the one where I think he just has to take a little bit better uh three-point shots but he's in the mix Anthony Davis is in the mix obviously LeBron um you know I think uh Marc Gasol, no question Marcus All with the Grizzlies is now 18 and 4 and mm-hmm. The Warriors, Stephen Curry, Klay Thompson, those guys are in the mix too. So it's some new, some new newcomers in this mix, but, uh, uh, you know, I think it's LeBron James' to lose. I really think. I think it's his to win. If he doesn't get it, it's because the Cavaliers have some kind of epic collapse. But I think it's, it's his to lose.
0: And we're talking about the Southwest. Of course, Oklahoma City is geographically loaded, located in the Southwest, but of course is in the Northwest Division. And they've played a lot of this season without their two best players and two of the best players in the league and Durant <laughs> and Westbrook. And those guys are back now. Have they dug themselves too big of a hole at this point? Or do they have time in the season to really get back into that tough Western Conference play? half picture
2: well they've won five in a row so um I, I think you know we're 23 games into the season right now so clearly they, they're, they're going to be a playoff team whether they're going to be the top three maybe not but uh six to eight five to eight oh no no, no question about it uh they're going to be a very dangerous first round opponent so i i think i was a little surprised they came back so soon but clearly uh Medically, they they definitely uh, passed the tests and they and they came back at the perfect time. And not only not only with uh, Durant and Westbrook, so much attention to pay to those guys, but I think you know it helped Scott Brooks manage the team and coach the team in different ways. And I think he also gave the role players. You know, when you're on the court, and I've talked to guys about this. When you're on the court, not only with just one superstar, player, but with two, you tend to watch a lot. You tend to sort of become hesitant, stand around. But I think for guys like Jeremy Land and Reggie Jackson, some of these young guys. It gave them needed confidence that, hey, you know what? I can make plays. If I get the ball, I can do something. So I think it actually came maybe as a blessing blessing in disguise that maybe those role players are coming back now with added confidence, added skills to complement those two players. And they're going to be very, very uh, tough to beat.
0: Yeah, of course, Reggie Jackson had a big game against the Celtics in Boston in a game where Celtics went up. Uh, early and then the uh, Thunder came kind of roaring back and handed the Celtics kind of a disappointing loss there so Celtics fans of course familiar with him from Boston College as well Oh yeah. and what other storylines are emerging that fans you think should be paying attention to as the season progresses
2: well I think in the east it's the Knicks <laughs> I mean I think uh, it's, it's, everything is just falling down the two I know they beat the, the Celtics last night but Shumpert's dislocation and Amari, uh, not Amari uh, Carmelo Anthony's sore knee and Triangle system, and you know, I, New York City. I live in New York City, and you know, this is a city that loves the tabloids. We love controversy. <laughs> we love drama. What's next for the Knicks? I mean, um, you know, I, I, I hear you know some rumblings that you know Phil is using this opportunity with the Knicks to, to 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 get experience to come to go back to the Lakers and take over that team. So is this all just a big PR stunt? And you know what's going on? So you know, clearly next summer they have a lot of cap space to sign some guys. So. Uh, is a triangle here to work? Is Carmelo the guy that they can build around? A lot of questions. So that's, that's probably one storyline. Um, you know, I, I, would say, I would say, you know, who's going to come out of the East? Is it the Cavaliers or the Bulls? I mean, I think it's pretty clear these, these are the two top teams, although the Raptors are there, the Hawks and Wizards. But I, I still think at the end of the day, it's going to be the Bulls or the Cavaliers. I think the Cavaliers have just way too much talent. and The Bulls have loaded up with Derek Rose healthy, uh, Mirotich Mer- 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 is playing very well. Uh, pal Gasol. So they have a lot of tools, not just defensively they've always been good at, but now offensively they have some some of that to counter. A good two-way team. So who's going to come out of the East? I and I think it's a two-way race and out West I would say, you know, I think we're watching the Blazers for sure and the Warriors, two teams that are very offensively loaded, but can they can they D up in the, in the playoffs? You like the Spurs, the Grizzlies, the Mavericks, I think they can all D up but can the Uh, Trailblazers and Warriors who score a lot of points, sometimes over 150, 120 points per game, can they D up in the playoffs? So we'll see what they can do then when that happens.
0: You mentioned Carmelo and some of the challenges in New York. The trade season unofficially kicks off on Monday when teams can trade free agents that they acquired over the summer. Who are some of the names in addition to maybe Carmelo and earlier mentioned Dion Waiters uh, that kind of bear watching as the uh, trade activity starts to pick up?
2: Well, I think for a lot of teams, they're looking at bigs, you know, can there be a, maybe a big out there who can help shore up the paint? You know, I think teams have uh, looked to upload, you know, their teams with, uh, you know, high high shooters, high scorers, uh, like the Blazers, for example. So, you know, teams, I think, you know, they have a lot of scoring, but in the playoff series, you know, we look at the Spurs, they have Tiago Splitter, Tim Duncan, um, and even Boris Diaw is a pretty good big who can D up. So you know they have a good balance inside-outside so are there teams like the Cavaliers for example I'm hearing Deion Waiters is 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 a potential trade guy the Cavaliers clearly need another rim protector someone down low when they get beat off a pick and roll maybe Tristan Thompson is guarding that they don't have a lot of weak side help so that's something that they're gonna look at and that goes for a lot of teams you know uh, it's hard to find good bigs but they're needed in the playoffs you know they're needed to make stops and facilitate fast breaks so you know, I, I think individually, I'm also hearing J.R. Smith uh, is also you know potentially available. They've looked to trade him in, in recent years, so uh, he's one guy. As far as Carmelo Anthony goes, that's much that's more rumor right now. Uh, I'm pretty connected to uh, people people around the organization. That that's pretty much a rumor right now. He's he's set to stay for now. Uh, medically, he has to clean up his knee a little bit. Maybe if that's surgery down the season, we'll see what happens. But uh, the Knicks have a lot of question marks. I think it's beyond just one trade. They have a lot of question marks, so we'll see what happens there.
0: I came across an interesting clip of you talking about basketball's international presence and the future of the sport. How is the sport changing, and what can fans expect?
2: Yeah, I mean, it's definitely growing globally. You know, The NBA's done a fantastic job since the Dream Team 92, and you know, I think in the last couple of years we've seen these global games, the preseason games, uh, expand in new countries and new cities, and e- even the summertime with the NBA's Basketball Without Borders program, they're going also to... Uh, new, new places like in Taipei, Taiwan, and other places as well, the Philippines. So the reach is getting bigger and bigger. You know, the NBA has great personalities and great star talent right now to leverage. And, you know, as you know, they're not behind a helmet like in football. You can really leverage the, the faces and the artistic uh, nature of the game with dunking and, and high scoring and, and great ball handling. It's so marketable, you know, and, and it's, it's a fast-paced sport. I think uh, with, with the youth culture today, with the youth movement, we're on our cell phones, Instagram. You know, we want instant gratification. We want things fast, fast, fast. And 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 the NBA is a great sport for that. Uh, clips and highlights. Um, you know, you get you get excited about the game. And I think the NBA is an entertainment property. So at the end of the day, you can also leverage musicians and and art and fashion. And it's a game that beyond other sports goes way beyond the court. So on the court, off the court, it has a lot of. Uh, I call it. I call the NBA an octopus because it has so many tentacles that reach so many different kinds of people. Um, I'm not saying it's going to take over soccer one day, but uh, <laughs> we'll see. We'll see what happens. The NBA has a lot of potential.
0: Jared Zwirling, listeners can follow him on Twitter at Jared Zwirling and find his work on Bleacher Report. Well, thanks for joining us on Celtics Beat today, Jared.
2: Anytime, man. Let's do it again soon.
0: Well, great stuff there from Jared. What do you think, Andre, is it a foregone conclusion that the Cavaliers are going to take the East? You know, Jared talked about Chicago maybe battling for that top spot with them, but Cleveland seems to have put it together. Of course, they they dropped a game in New Orleans on, on Friday night, but they had won seven straight previous to that.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the, the East has always been Cleveland's to lose, you know, and they, they got out the gate so slow that, you know, that I mean, that, that kind of made it a little bit newsworthy but the east being what it is they didn't have to get out the gate fast so i I just think that the mix of talent and with lebron championship experience just puts them it gives them more arrows in their quiver than anyone else more so than chicago honestly i think (laughs) toronto has been impressive you know and and i remember them last year they got out the gate and surprised people and and the thought was they were going to fall off and then they never did. And I think what they're showing this year is that it really wasn't a fluke. I mean, even with DeRozan down, they're still a solid team. So, you know, when, when he comes back and with the way Cal Lowry's playing, I, I feel like they'll be battling with Chicago. um or for that next step down, but yeah, I mean, I think ultimately uh, the the East is Cleveland's to lose.
0: Yeah, Toronto's interesting. I mean, obviously uh, Kyle Lowry, as you mentioned, is having a great season, and you know, honestly, I think should be in the MVP discussion at least so far. But in a lot of ways, they're kind of the anti cabs right? They're they're mm. no hype, but all chemistry, right? Which is Cleveland exactly. seems to be having the opposite problem. And I think fans just in the media continually overlook teams that win. Uh, largely on the strength of their continuity and their ability to play together and those teams as the Spurs have shown time and time again you know obviously the Spurs have have some of that those marquee names um, so they're, they're always going to be on people's minds but they continually get overlooked because you know they win based on their play as a team rather than the, the individual star power and and Toronto's kind of built in that mold and I, I think they're going to be a dangerous team uh, in the playoffs and Chicago I think is in in a lot of I wonder if they're laying in the weeds. Obviously, the big question mark with Derrick Rose coming back um, this season and whether he was going to be healthy and and you know, be the player that that he was. And oddly enough, they they seem to be struggling a little bit defensively this season. Um, but I almost wonder if uh, Tom Thibodeau's kind of finally learned that he can't drive guys and have his uh, pedal to the metal defensively for the entire regular season uh, and then All expect right. to compete in the playoffs and whether he's kind of lightened up a bit on that and you know you look at Rose's his back and he's you know maybe not at that MVP caliber he was at one time but he's still uh, he, had a, he had a big night Friday night and Jimmy Butler has been a revelation he's you know scoring 21 and a half points a game and and really you know in addition to the tough rugged defense he plays is now showing a nice really balanced Offensive game. His outside shot is coming around to really balance, you know, his ability to to attack the basket. And then you look at the two bigs. You've got you know Gasol, who's putting up great numbers, uh, primarily off the bench, and you've got uh, Noah, who's you know kind of all, that all around glue guy on the front line. And those two guys seem to play really well together. And you know, Taj Gibson in there too. So I think that Chicago team, you know, folks are really sleeping on a bit, and they're they're going to be really dangerous at the playoff time, particularly if. As I said, Thibodeau is kind of you know letting them kind of fly into the radar a little bit and not pushing them as hard in the regular season as he has maybe in seasons past.
1: Yeah, you know, the Bulls are really interesting. As you kind of pointed out, Gasol and Jimmy Butler, to me, are the two kind of MVP slash X factors for the Bulls this year. Because Gasol, he comes in and he gives them such a dimension offensively that they haven't had before that potentially could change the way Teams have to approach them, especially in the playoffs. And then, you know, and then Jimmy Butler, he he made his 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 name, his bones in the NBA, kind of being a, a hustle type guy, maybe more energy and defense. And, and then now this year he's showing he can score 20 points on the regular if called upon. But I, I kind of feel like you've got the Cavs, which are all talent with no chemistry, and then you've got Toronto as your anti-Cavs. I almost feel like Chicago can't figure out where on the continuum they lie. You know they 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 have these talented players that are capable of doing these great things, but I don't sense a lot of synergy from them. You know, I don't see Rose's style of driving and kick offense being so super synergistic with The way Butler is able to produce on the wings, which also having synergy with Gasol being kind of a back to the basket post up guy in the paint. You know, I I don't I don't feel like they've put it all together yet. And it could just be a matter of time. Maybe, as you said, maybe Thibodeau has stepped off the gas a little bit. Maybe over the course of this long season, they'll put it all together um, and and find their identity as as the dominant defensive team. That's also a, a strong offensive team. But right now, they just kind of feel more, to me, like talented individuals. I haven't seen them come together yet.
0: All right, it's time for Around the NBA in 5. Are you ready? Let's do it. Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook are back for the OKC Thunder. But do they have enough time left in the regular season to overcome the bad start and position themselves in the tough Western Conference playoff picture?
1: It's really interesting. The West is so good. I mean, last year, you could win 50 games and not make it in. I think they have enough time because really both of them came back a little bit earlier than planned and i think that when they're all together and up to full speed they're a 60 plus win team 65 plus win team so over the last four months of the year i think they can get back where they need to
0: yeah you know obviously barring any future uh, injuries and, and setbacks um, I, I think they've got the time. And it'll be interesting. Uh, Durant could set himself up for making a shoe-in case for a second straight MVP because they're really going to need to make a, a real sprint uh, to the finish line if they want to not just make the playoffs but actually get themselves in contention for uh, you know a, a top-four seed and, and the home court at least in the first round of the playoffs in the Tough West. So if he's able to lead them back to that, uh, it's going to take a Herculean effort, and I think that'll uh, potentially position position him well Um, and Jared talked a little bit about this in the interview even if they you know make the playoffs and start out on the road in the first round they end up a seven or eight seed that's going to be a tough out uh, for whoever's a number one or two seed so it could set up some really interesting scenarios in the
1: playoffs. all right well a quarter of the way through the season who's the most surprising team to you
0: uh, you know, I think we just talked about them a few minutes, you know, ago. Uh, Toronto Raptors. I think, yeah, you know, there have been some teams that maybe have gotten out of the gate with a few more wins than folks have thought, like Sacramento and. And even Orlando, I think, has put up more wins at this point than folks maybe thought they'd be capable of. But, you know, ultimately, I just, you know, look at that as as more aberrations than anything else. Whereas, you know, Toronto, this isn't a mistake. You know, this isn't an aberration. This is a very good team, maybe not with that top, top top-tier talent, but you can really overcome that with with guys knowing their roles and and sacrificing for the greater good and and really realizing it's about the we and not the I. And I think that, that really aptly describes the Toronto Raptors right now and I think they're going to be a tough out the rest of the way and and I would not be shocked to see them in the Eastern Conference Finals and and I guess I would only be mildly surprised to see them in the uh, in the NBA Finals and what a great NBA Finals a Spurs versus Raptors matchup would be although uh you know ESPN and the Disney companies would hate it
1: yeah they, they would hate it the basketball purists would love it I guess I feel like there are a lot of surprising teams this year because I've gone through three or four in my head I almost gave some thought to houston as well but i think i'm gonna go out to the far west and say golden state just for the simple fact that i expected them to be good this year i mean they they have talent and they were good last year but they're playing like the 96 bulls i didn't expect them to be this good if whether they can hold it or not i mean we're only a quarter of the way through the season but they're winning their their point differential is 11 more than 11 points a game which hasn't been done over the course of a full year since those bulls. The, the 08 Celtics kind of being the closest at this point of the year. I think their difference role might have been a little higher at the end of the year around 10. But I mean, Golden State is 19 and 2. You've got Steph Curry playing really, you know, you're talking about MVP candidates. To me, he is the MVP right now. And, I mean, just the way the team is fitting around them, and they don't even have everybody healthy. You know, David Lee hasn't even played yet this year. They have a new coach, and and they've just come in, like, with no problems whatsoever. So, to me, they've been the most surprising team.
0: Who's your most disappointing team?
1: I guess I would have to say that's a hard one—I guess— I would say that there aren't a lot of teams that are disappointing because Oklahoma City, you understand that they've had the injuries. You know what? I'll say Brooklyn's the most disappointing team to me. As We've talked about coming into the season. Um, they were kind of my dark horse. I felt like they should be challenging for the East, especially with the East being down. And they're just still struggling. They, just, they don't seem to have oomph as a team, the way my mom would put it. You know, they, they just, they're, and it almost seems like they're going through the motions a lot of the time. And, 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 and so I would say that's been surprising and disappointing to me, even though if the season ended now, they would make it into the playoffs because the East is so bad. Um, to me, so far, they've been the most disappointing.
0: Yeah, it is a really hard one, and it's not fair to single out Oklahoma City. Obviously, that was a function of injuries. Uh, Brooklyn's a good choice. Um, I'm going to kind of go the other way, and I'm uh, just to be different, and I'm not going to pile on the Knicks and and stick in New York. I'll say Detroit. I think folks thought that maybe with Stan Van Gundy getting in there, uh, he could straighten out a little bit of that mess on the front line, and they did have some talent, but they're really underachieved, and I wouldn't be surprised to see them really uh, active at the trade deadline.
1: So Magic says he hopes the Lakers lose as many games as possible, and Nick Young threatened to punch him out. Um, Kobe's calling his team soft. What the heck is going on in L.A.?
0: It's a bad team that some folks, including some folks on the team, had unrealistic expectations about. Um, while I'm not a you know, fan of uh, uh, tanking, obviously, uh, I think Magic sees that this team isn't isn't really built to do anything. And you know, I think Kobe's rapidly going into I'm just going to get my my points and continue to solidify my my case for the Hall of Fame uh, and and top ten discussion uh, by racking up the points and and passing the folks ahead of them. He's he's on the doorstep of passing uh, MJ at this point. So, so I honestly think actually the second half of the season will be a lot less drama in L.A. just because people are just going to resign themselves to the fact that it's a bad team.
1: Yeah, I would agree with that. The, the team was always going to be bad. And, um, you know, I, I guess magic kind of uh, fits in what we were talking about earlier with uh, colleague Chris being like, OK, if you're going to be bad, then you should just be terrible. And, um, you know, whether that respects the process or not, I guess, uh, Magic felt like he was in a position that he could that he could say something like that as far as Kobe, I feel like he 's kind of in a no lose situation you know he's, he, no matter what he can say hey i 've got five rings if we 're not winning it 's not because of me. you know Meanwhile, he can go shoot seven for thirty eight and you know end up with twenty five points and and you know he he 's still Kobe so um yeah i mean they 're drama're they 're a Hollywood team, but yeah, I think at some point um, people are going to kind of stop caring.
0: Well, that'll do it for around the NBA in five, and that's going to do it for this week's edition of Celtics Beat. Music for Celtics Beat was provided by Chuck Dietz, Astrovex, and Steph LeGrateau. Be sure to follow us on social media. Our Twitter handle is Celtics underscore Beat. And you can like Celtics Beat on CLNS Radio on Facebook. to Keep up with the show. I'd like to thank our guest, Jared Zwirling of Bleacher Report. And for our staff writer, Eddie Santiago, executive producer, Larry H. Russell, my co-host, Andre Snelling of Rotowire, I'm Rich Conkin. See you next Wednesday for a bonus show with special guest Sean Grandy for another edition of Celtics Beat, exclusively on CLNS Radio.